And welcome back to another episode of In the Sheds on Code with Kingy, where for this go round I am joined by the Wellington Lions and Highlanders Cotton Garden Bashup, where we as always gloss over the footy career, but more specifically for this week's guest, we talk about the decision to leave home, dealing with back to back serious injuries, and scoring in front of the zoo on debut. So for all of that and much more, please do keep listening, and as always, enjoy. Well, Namahi Connor, and thank you very much for taking some time out to go on code with Kingy. Uh, I guess first off, I just want to say, yeah, thank you for your time, and really looking forward to this corridor. No, bro, thanks for having me on here. Uh, yeah, so why don't we start off with, like, bro, how's the body? Obviously, you're into your first proper full season of Super Rugby, and what is it, you're, you're three rounds in now, so you got the bye week, and yeah, I mean, how's that whole sort of process been for you, bro, like, really being like a full-time footy player, and actually, I guess playing footing consistently it's pretty tough to be honest it's a lot um it's a lot harder than anything i've ever done before to be fair it's a it's a big step up because i haven't really played a whole lot of rugby over the past couple of years due to injuries and all that but um no it's been awesome got a few niggles here and there but um no nah, we're ticking away and fucking Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah, bro, yeah, bro go hard, bro, go hard. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, um, <laughs> No, yeah, so, um, but no, yeah, all considered, everything's going good, bro. And I mean, like, how does this season compare to last year, like, outside of, of, you know, again, like I mentioned, like, playing consistent footy, like, do you feel like you got a better understanding of how to be a professional, like, spending that first year with the Highlanders, even though you were, for the most part, on the sidelines? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely... Um, it's different being in the team uh, playing 15 every week, you know. You get the opportunity to become a lot closer with all the boys. Because um, last year, even though I was here, it was sort of, it was tough to, like, really um, feel like I was a part of the team just because it was my first year, you know. I didn't have that chance to prove myself on the field like everyone else. So I just sort of had to, you know, just do do, do what I could off the field to, to become close with the boys. But... No, it's been cool as a... I'm guessing it, it must be a lot nicer, like, actually playing rather than having to do those top-up running blocks, bro. I, I talked to the few <laughs> boys, eh, and they, um, like, even outside of their club games, bro, they hate having to do those those sprint sessions or those bike sessions. So, yeah, I mean, it's been really cool for to see, like, a young fella, like, you really make the most of his opportunity, yeah, like, considering the the, the pretty bad injury run you had uh, towards the, the start of last year. And, yeah, like, yeah, you're really showcasing your stuff now, bro, but... Um, obviously, like there had to be a start point in your rugby career, so why don't we go all the way back there and talk about like you know where you grew up and how you even started playing the game? Yeah, bro. So um, I came from a pretty, I come from a pretty um, rugby rugby mad family, as as you know. My father was over in London, finishing up his career playing for London Irish, so I was actually born over in London, which is pretty cool, and moved moved back to Wellington when I was three, so pretty much raised there my whole life. But yeah, I grew up in Paramata with the rest of my family and played for Northern United Rugby Club in Porirua, which is a cool cool club in, in the in the hood. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, from there, went to Scots, following after uh, my brother's footsteps, which was pretty special as well. I was year nine there when he was year 13. Um, and it was cool just, you know, he sort of paved the way, way for me in a lot of ways. Um, but it's cool to follow his footsteps there. And then straight out of school, I was sort of, I was a little bit torn, you know. I didn't know whether to stay in Wellington or, or chase this opportunity I had to go and join the Crusaders Academy. And um, as hard as the decision was to leave, you know, what was my home, I sort of made like a decision to to chase that, that um, Canterbury jersey and spent two years down there, played for the Lincoln Rams at, at, at uni down there and just ticked away in the academy and lucky enough to get a couple of caps for Canterbury which was pretty special and then after my two years was done there I sort of had the chance to either go home and and play with Jackson for the Lions or re-sign with Canterbury <laughs> and it was funny because it was 
it was like the same decision all over again, but flipped on its head, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I made the decision to head back to Wellington pretty much just to play with Jackson and be closer to the family, which was it's a, it's a decision I'm happy I made now. And um, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to come down here, down south with the Highlanders last year, which unfortunately was cut short before I even got the chance to start um, because of my back surgery. But, I mean, we're here now, and, yeah, it's been going real mean. Yeah, 100%, bro. The bat looks like it's um, doing the proper thing rather than giving you too much grief. Uh, and I remember talking to your brother. Um, yeah, I did a podcast with him last year, and he talked about, you know, obviously the football influence being over in the UK. So was, you know, even being in that rugby-mad household, you know, having spent your earlier years over in England, like, did you favour soccer at all? Did you ever give that a go? Was it always sort of been rugby-centric for you? Nah, similar to Jackson, uh, we pretty much played every single sport like under the sun growing up just because, yeah, no, there was no favouritism towards rugby, although there sort of was in my eyes because every son, you know, wants to follow in his father's footsteps and that's always sort of in the back of your mind, I guess, growing up, I want, you know, you want to be like your dad. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I played soccer, did everything, but um, yeah, so, well, rugby was always the favourite to be fair. Mm, and it looks like you've made the right choice. Uh, and, and you talk about kicking on to Scots and following in, in, in your brother's footsteps. So we'll, we'll get to your career there and, you know, like what that sort of brought out of you as a rugby player. But, you know, going, you know, growing up over in Potidora and obviously having mates over the hill and playing for Norths, you know, was there ever any other, I guess, destination for you outside of Scots? Like, did you ever give any of the other schools maybe in the Hutt Valley or over that side of the hill any thought, you know, considering, I guess, like the the culture or the community you'd, you'd been immersed in since you arrived back in New Zealand? Yo, um, well, because I grew up in, in Paramata, a lot of the people that went there went to Altair College. I don't know if you know know where that is, but it's, it's a little school and put it on just, just down the road from North. And I actually wanted to go there just because, you know, that's where a lot of people that, is, that were in that similar circle to me were going. But... I, I literally didn't have a choice. Like my um, <laughs> yeah, my family was. I was going to Scots no matter what. So the decision was made for me. And so obviously you rock up there. Maybe it not being your first preference as a school. Did it did it take you long to to find friends? Did you, did you board at Scots or like how, how does that whole dynamic work over there? Yeah. So I um I boarded at Scots yeah from year nine all the way to year thirteen. And to be honest, like. As soon as I got there, I was a little bit different. I was a little bit cheekier, a little bit probably hoarier than all the other boys. But um, <laughs> but bro, I had um, I had the best time. I had the boarding house. Those boys became like my brothers, and I had my cousin um, my cousin Drew there as well. So it was a, it was quite an easy transition, and especially uh, having Jackson there as well. He sort of looked out for me, and just you know he he sort of. He wouldn't say this, but he was the the big man on campus. You know, he ran the show. So, so when I turned up, it was everyone was sort of just like, "Oh, so you're Jackson's brother?" And I was just like, "Yeah, bro, how's it going?" <laughs> you know. Um, but no, yeah, it was cool. I I actually really loved um, Scots. So, did you when you rocked up at Scots? Were you year nine and he was year thirteen? Yeah, yeah. I was so year nine, yeah. Year 13. So you wouldn't have quite, I'm guessing you probably didn't play first within year nine, so you probably had to wait a while. Like like you said, up until, like you mentioned earlier, you get into match up with them with the Lions or that being one of the bigger reasons for coming home. But tell us about your success in the Scots, first 15, uh, maybe for those that aren't too familiar with, with the Wellington catchment because, I mean, like being a Silverstream boy myself, um, unfortunately I've been on the other end of a lot of your school success, especially <laughs> that, that 2014 year, bro, when you guys put us in the final. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. So you obviously enjoyed your experience as a whole, but like, what was rugby like for you at that school? Um, it was it was pretty it was pretty special to be fair. I I didn't actually, you know, I always wanted to be an All Black, but it wasn't until year eleven that I actually got my first opportunity. You know, to be in a good rugby team with with players that were actually really quite decent. I didn't think I was going to make the first thing in, in year 11 by any means, just because of the, the sort of people that were in front of me. You know, we had 
TJ Vaalo, Tuitama, the, the Umangas, all those boys. And um, yeah, so in 2014, we, we were lucky enough to to somehow make our way to the Premier final. And I was marking Celestia on the wing. Far out. I, I don't think I've been so scared before a game before because that man was about three times the size of me. <laughs> and there's Lofty and Jared Adams and all those boys suffer. But um, yeah, TJ clutched up, nudged the, nudged the wing, winning penalty, and um, sent us to the Hurricanes final, which that year we won, and then went to top four, where we ended up drawing with Ham, Ham Boys in the in the final. And but because we scored first, we, that means we went to Senex. So the following year, we were, we were lucky enough to go to Japan for a wee tournament, which was pretty special. You know, it was my first taste of, of overseas travel and um, for sports, I should say, and that was a cool experience as well. It was pretty much the Thomas and P.O. Munga Johnson show over there. They didn't like to pass the ball too much, but <laughs> with a good reason, because they scored pretty much every time they got it. Um, and the, and the 2015 year was my year 12 year. I was a little bit injury plagued with that year as well. thought I had a few concussions and I Popped my clavicle out, which was no fun. But um, the boys, the boys pulled through and managed to get a top four final again, where we lost the Rotorua boys. And the following year, it was probably a bit of a letdown. It was my year thirteen year in school rugby. We, we, you know, we'd lost half our team in the form of like four players, which wasn't good. But I mean, <laughs> we we tried our best and we. We fell a little bit short um, that year. We lost to, I think we lost to Wired Upper College in the quarterfinals of Wellington. So we didn't even make it past the quarterfinals. Probably was, probably one of the most embarrassing losses of my, my life, actually, losing to those guys. But no, hats off to them. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, that was the end of my school rugby for Scots. I was lucky enough to made the NZ Barbars team that year and we we had an awesome team. I think quite a few players have kicked on um to play professional rugby from that team, which is awesome to see. Those lads go good. But um yeah, that's pretty much my school rugby. Mm, so it's almost like in reverse of, you know, how you'd ideally like to go out, right? You'd almost wanna from a year eleven stage build, but you almost started on a high and then could never quite um, match it, bro. But again, at the same time, you're a national champion. You went over to Japan. So, I mean, like, nobody could ever take that away from you, bro. And you just mentioned before the fact that you made the New Zealand Barbarian side, which um, I guess is a, is a cluster of like, all the top talent um, from your year group for your final year of school. So at that stage, you know, like, was that really, like, your moment of thinking, like, yep, I really want to give this rugby thing a crack? Or had you sort of given it any... Um, I guess any mention for yourself like earlier in the piece, maybe year twelve or even like the end of year eleven. Um, I think similarly, similarly to Jackson, my rugby has been my dream since since I was a toddler. You know, from my auntie still recalls when I was three, she said I had two dreams. Um, one was to be an All Black, and the other one was to have a credit card. I don't know why. <laughs> I think when I was little, I thought a credit card was just money on a card. You know, you just swipe it and go nuts. But yeah, those are my two two dreams since I was a little man. Um, there probably wasn't one specific moment, but I mean, that Barbar's experience sort of did um, give me a little bit of hope because I was always, I was, you know, there was never too much hype around me. I was sort of just, I'd work real hard and and. You know, just got where I got because of because of that hard work, I guess. But yeah, that Barbas was the first time I sort of got a little bit of um, a little bit of taste to to what it's like being in those national teams or, you know, in those semi-professional environment. Anyway, that's pretty serious, and it opened a couple of doors for me. Like I said, going down to to Canterbury, which, which I guess was the start of my career and led me to this point, which I'm, yeah, grateful for. Mm-hmm. So, again, like you touched on your decision to go down to Canterbury and take up that rugby scholarship down at Lincoln, but had the Wellington Academy actually like tabled an offer for you? So, did you actually have to choose between the two? Like, did you have something like in place for you to, I guess, 
get you on the right track to becoming a professional rugby player at home? Yep, yeah. So they pretty much offered the exact same thing in terms of uh, PUDC um, for both both regions. So it was it was literally just a matter of which um, piece of paper I put my put my name on. And it was weird. It was sort of like my heart was telling me to stay in Wellington, but my head was telling me to go because I knew that the Canterbury region is, you know, what they're known for. They're known for breeding um, great rugby players and they're known for their professional environment and all the rest of it. So I knew that was probably the smart move, but it didn't make it any easier. You know, leaving my family, that's a big part of my life. And my friends, obviously, it was, it was hard to say or hard to make that decision, but I... I, I know it was the right one in hindsight, you know. Totally, bro. I mean, look at where you are now. You're a professional footy player. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you go down there. Um, you go down to Lincoln, who has a, I guess, of late, has a pretty like extensive group of players that have gone through, um, I guess, like their system and gone on to crack the, the professional rugby scene. I remember talking to Joel Hintz earlier in the year. And he talked about like when he rocked up to like the the premier final playing for them in the front row, and he talked about just their backline. They, you know, they had the likes of I think like the Goodhue brothers, guys like Jack Stratton, Eddie Anardi, Brett Cameron. Like you mentioned, Celestia was there at, at some point in time. You know, the just the talent that those guys um, are able to draw in and put through their system is pretty impressive. So, like, did you feel like that first year and then getting included with that their under 19s crop? was like, I guess like the, the first step in the right direction for you? I mean like what did you take out of your first year down there? Um yeah it was definitely the first step in the right direction. I think just being amongst that environment, the Lincoln Lincoln environment is a lot different uh well sorry, the the Canterbury environment in general is a lot different to the Wellington environment. It's all about, you know, fitting the mould of a good Canterbury man. So I think for me at that time and how I was as a person, it was probably it was probably good. You know, it set me on the right track and um sort of got me learning all the things that I needed needed to know in order to to reach the the levels of a professional rugby player. And like you say, at Lincoln, it was not to not like it was a pretty stacked team to be fair. Like I was playing um Colts my first year out of school for Lincoln. And our Rams team was good, but the the Premier team was like stacked. I was I wasn't making it the first year out of school, but just to be in and amongst those guys and learn from them, I guess, is was pretty cool. Mm. Now you mentioned the fact that Canterbury is different to maybe what you've experienced in Wellington and having to sort of fit a mould. Uh, and, and I've always been interested by that uh, and I've always asked any of the guys that have been through that system because like you said they have a proven track record of churning out all these great rugby players but at the same time I guess they're sort of known for sort of that structure and maybe the boring aspect of the game or you know even though it is the, the most winningest part of it um, it's not exactly the most fun so I guess for you like comparing like where you are now with the Highlanders or what you've gone through like with the Wellington system would you say that the the Canterbury system is the least fun, or doesn't allow you to express yourself as much? Like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it it, it really just is really just interests me, just like the this how long Canterbury have been able to do it, and even like when they take in guys that um, maybe not that maybe haven't had the same success in, in other regions, and all of a sudden when they go in there, you know, they're they're a potential All Black. You know, one guy that springs to mind for me is someone like a Bryn Hall who. You know, maybe he wasn't as successful at the Blues, but then you know, all of a sudden he's sort of been on that cusp of it. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to get you to say here, but, I, I, yeah, like, is no, there anything know, else I that know. you could mention on yeah, what I'm trying yeah, to get? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's funny because I didn't actually really realise how how different different regions and different team cultures can be until probably until this year um, under Tony Brown. He's... He's definitely the best coach I've ever had, and it definitely, you know, he, he simply because he knows how to bring out the best in everyone. Like his philosophy around rugby, and and just in life in general, is be yourself. You know, be the best version of you, and from that, like you know, we're all gonna accept you for who you are. Like, and no matter even if you are a little bit rough around the edges, like that's all good. Just fucking be who you are. And that's how you're going to play the best rugby. Whereas, like, 
in contrast to that in Canterbury, I felt like they want to mould you into into being this perfect Canterbury man, and it probably it didn't really suit me looking back on it because like a I was always a bit cheeky, you know. I was a little bit rough around the edges, um, bit of a bit of a pirate, as we'd say down here, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a tough one because I I, I don't want to say anything bad about Canterbury because you know what they do they do really well, and I'm grateful for that's my time in in the red and black jersey. But I mean, I think for me personally, being in somewhere somewhere an environment like the Highlanders where, you know, you can be yourself, you can be a pirate rather than be what we would describe um to be a navy a navy man, which is um in in, in Canterbury <laughs> where everyone's got their top buttons done up. And yeah. No, I can totally understand that bro, because I, I got a close mate of mine and and I've talked to a few boys who have been through that system who didn't last as long as others. But they've still gone on to have, you know, relatively successful careers, you know, considering, you know, the talent that they've had. And I guess, yeah, like you said, it's it's really dependent on uh, on, on the person and how they react to different environments. You know, some, some guys, for example, don't mind being like, you know, whipped and rode by a coach. You know, they almost embrace, you know, being told what to do all the time, Where uh, whereas some guys, you maybe need to coddle in a way because, you know, they don't react to... I guess that aggressive sort of like um, dictator sort of setup, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's what's hap, hap, that's what's happened um, for them in the, in that Canterbury setup, but yeah, um, a, as good as it can be for some guys, maybe it's you know it's not so much the case for others, you know, like you mentioned for yourself. But um, again, like you mentioned earlier, you end up going on to play for Canterbury after I guess spending some time um, in that under 19 setup towards the back end of your first year out of school. But before you even got to that stage, um, and I guess cracked the the professional scene, did you train with the Crusaders at all um, in that first, I guess, summer preseason? You know, after your first year of uni. Um, I don't think I did in my first year because I was I'm young for my uh, for my year in school, so I was still only I think I was only eighteen. I think it was the following year, so my second year, uh, I got called in for a few trainings um, over the summer, and that was a Fire I was pretty starstruck to be to be completely honest. Like, um, you know, the Crusaders being being who they are, they've got some pretty awesome players in that environment, and just to to mix and mingle with them was was really special. You know, I was like starstruck when I was rocking up to trainings. Um, but yeah, now I got a few trainings in there. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so you obviously you, you spent the the season and had a couple of games for Canterbury. So, I mean, we, we can sort of just lightly brush over that season. But from there, you know, rolling into that following year and, like you said, having a few um, sessions with the Crusaders, you know, how early, I guess, going, you know, going into, I guess, your third year out of school, had you sort of made up your mind between going back home or staying in Canterbury? Like, did, did Wellington approach you during, I guess, your first Mitre 10 Cup campaign to come home the following year? Or was it sort of a decision to come home and then, I guess, back yourself to earn a, to earn a contract? Um, nah, see, so during the, um, under 19s, it was my second year of the under 19s competition, and, um, I had asked Canterbury, I had just, I'm pretty sure I just asked them, like, are you interested in, in me, in terms of Mitre 10, because Wellington had approached me saying that they, they wanted to sign me, and, um, and Canterbury said, look, get through the under 19 campaign, and then, and then we'll talk about it. So I asked Wellington, uh, can you guys hold off, give me a few more weeks and I'll get through this 19th campaign and then Canterbury are going to give me this, you know, they're going to give the offer and then I'm going to make my decision. And um, so that ended up happening, finished the 19th campaign and then first, I think I, I had a week off and then I was called into the Canterbury squad because some of the wingers had been injured or something like that. And then... Canterbury sort of made me a, a, a counter offer, which was very similar. They're pretty much, pretty much the same offer, but just obviously different regions. And um, dad, my my dad said, "Look, you're in that environment now. It's probably your your decision's going to be a little bit biased if towards Canterbury if you um 
if you have to make that decision now while you're in that team, you know. So why don't you just wait till the end of Mitre 10? So I literally left the dis- I literally pushed the decision back as far as far as I could because I just wanted this. It was a big decision and I, and I knew it was, so I wanted it to be completely unbiased. And um, luckily, both regions were like, "Yep, sweet. Um, have all the time you want. Blah blah blah. Just let us know because we need a like we want to know ASAP sort of thing." I was like, "Okay." So Mitre 10 finished. And I, I was out of the Canterbury environment, back at home. I'd met with the Wellington coaches, and and then it was time for me to write my big pros and cons list for each region. So I wrote this massive pros and cons list, and I took everything into consideration. I took the weather, I took the beaches, <laughs> I took it, I, I took everything into consideration. Like, um, and it just ended up that it was going to be smarter um, for for for. Probably reasons outside of rugby, as well as a couple on field, but more just the family and just the opportunity to play with Jackson, like I said, and the, and the fact that Wellington were offering me a 15 jersey rather than a 14 jersey, like Canterbury sort of were. Yeah, but for all those reasons, I decided it was time to go home, as, as hard as it was, because I'd made some awesome friends in Canterbury. Like, we had a tight little bunch, um, and I actually loved it there. Because I have family there as well, but yeah, here at home, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Now, again, like you said, you pushed that decision back as far as you could to let yourself just focus on the rugby. But uh, I mean, like, ha- like for a rugby player and having to make those sorts of decisions on their future, you know, while they're still actually like committed to a team, you know, that they've you know they've worked hard for, I guess, in the preseason and 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 you're in the thicker battle, like. How like how difficult is that mentally for a guy to actually just focus on the task at hand, without worrying too much about what happens in the future? Because I mean, like anything, if you worry about what happens down the line, you can tend to muck up in the present. So did you know did did it, did it affect your rugby at all, or are you quite an easygoing guy? I'm pretty cruisy to be fair. Like uh, I don't think it affected me too much. Like yeah, no, I'm pretty cruisy to be fair. Like I I think we get a lot of we get a lot of help around, you know, um, around the mental space in terms of like being present and just controlling the controllables and all the rest of it. So from that perspective, I think a lot of us as rugby players are really quite good at just honing in um, into our into our mahi and just doing our job, like keeping it day to day and just not trying to get too worked up about what you can't control. As hard as that is, like. It's it's hard for me sometimes for sure, but I think at that time I just I just yeah just pushed it back as far as I could, and then when when the time came, made the decision. Yep, and as I've said, um, I guess multiple times now, it's it's ended up being the right call, bro, because you are where you want to be. Um, but before you got you got to the Lions and and were able to put that fifteen jersey on and share the field with your brother, bro. Um, one special mention I want to make is you were a part of the Norse team that won the Jubilee Cup that year. Um, when you returned yeah. to the capital, bro. So, yeah. Before we touch on the line stuff, like, I mean, like, how special was that for you to have a run around in the colours that you'd grown up playing in, and then I guess yeah, at the end of it, uh, taking home the title. That was a special feeling, to be fair. Um, to put on that uh, blue and white strip again, it, it brought back a a lot of childhood memories and a lot of you know a lot of feelings that I had probably when my mum was was coaching me and dad was coaching me so it was a special um special feeling for sure and to get that dub uh in the jubilee cup final over over a couple uh boys uh thomas and peter Irwin, not the brave <laughs> shot boys um no it was, it was pretty good and jackson hadn't hadn't actually won a jubilee yet so i got that one over him too which made <laughs> a little bit more a little bit more sweet <laughs> Oh well, yeah, great dinner. Um, <laughs> great dinner chat. I'm, I'm yeah, guessing, bro. bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll crack onto the lines, my man. Um, and and like you mentioned, the a big reason for you coming home was to to be around family and the opportunity to play in the position that you, I guess, favoured. Um, rather than being on the end of the back line, you know, getting to eject yourself freely or, or more freely. Uh, so that what was that first year like back in the capital? Now, now, I know it was obviously a special feeling to put on that Canterbury strip and, you know, and play on TV and do whatever else. But 
Uh, I know that it's probably, or I, I guess it's probably different, you know, going back and playing for the team that you would have grown up supporting. And again, like I just touched on, bro, sharing the field with your brother for, for the first time. Well, it was actually tough because obviously my attend is in the second half of the year. So for the first half of the year, I was I was actually just I was studying part time at, at Vic, and I was um I was training at the Wellington Academy, and it was tough because I sort of I had uprooted myself after year thirteen and and gone and loved my time in in Christchurch, and then I'd I'd gone and done it to myself again and come back to Wellington, and when I came back to Wellington, things weren't quite the same. Like all my all my schoolmates were gone. And um, a lot of you know, just it just didn't feel the same, and I was missing my mates in Christchurch as well. It was tough to be fair, but it was tough until my team started because then you know I was back in that team environment and I had that feeling again, and the fact that Jackson was in that same team far out, like me and him were going to work every day, and I was just looking, I just like sometimes think about it, and I was like, man, who would have thought? like growing up that this this was gonna be what we were doing for a living. Like it's it's pretty crazy. Um it's pretty it's just crazy to think that, that, that that's what we, we did. But um yeah, to to put on that jersey for the first time it was against Tazzy, so we had a tough we had a tough ask, um, and round one playing against them at home, I was like, far out, this is gonna be a big game but I mean we went in there with um, hopes high and came out with a, a big fat L against a really good Tasman team. But running out against against that team with Jackson, it was a special feeling for sure. Didn't go to plan. It wasn't the fairy tale debut for Wellington either. But I mean, by all means, it was it was the team that I grew up watching. It was a, you know, it's the team that I always dreamed of playing for, and as a person, I always dreamed of playing with. So, yeah, it was special, bro. Mm. Now, um, fortunately for yourself and for Jackson and, and, and the rest of your teammates, the season did get better um, after copping that first L. But, again, probably wouldn't have, uh, well, probably didn't end like you would have liked to going up against Tasman again um, at their fortress and unfortunately being knocked off uh, in the final, bro. And, um, and you must have done um, pretty well performance-wise because you ended up getting drafted into the, to the Highlanders. Um, as part of your, you know, that super draft that, that, that kicks on following the season. So you head back down south uh, to do this preseason there, man. And like you mentioned right at the start of the interview, bro, like you end up hurting your back. So, I mean, like how far into the piece was that bad news or that, that horrible it's, moment? It's sort of funny because my my back was actually playing up the whole way through my team that year. I had, a, I had a bulge disc in my lower back and I sort of just, I had a couple of cortisone injections, you know, steroid injections to try um, and help the pain, but it was like putting a Band-Aid over a sinking, like a hole in a boat that was just sinking that fast. It just didn't do a thing, bro. And, um, yeah, I had two of those, and they they didn't really help as much as they were supposed to. So by the time I got to um, Dunedin, they, the physios and that took one look at me, and they were, like, far out, like, I'm sorry, mate. We can't we can't actually do anything for you. So, and that was before preseason even started. Like literally, I had come down to the Dunedin early to get myself settled in, as as some of the young boys do. They you know they get them in early just to get them used to that environment. So that was me. And then um, literally in day preseason, not even preseason day one, they said, uh, look, you're not you're not going to be available this year." you need a back surgery like pretty much as, as soon as possible. And to be told that when when I was in Wellington like surgery wasn't even an option. And then to be told that as soon like day one, as soon as I get down here, it was pretty tough. Like it was a tough pill to swallow. Especially when I had like all these hopes and aspirations for last year. But I mean, I'm glad that I I did get the surgery because yeah, my back was playing up big time. I guess you're probably yeah. glad as well that you signed that contract before they got to have a proper look at you, bro. So <laughs> I guess that's perhaps a silver lining, bro. I don't mean to be too crude about it. But, no, yeah, they, obviously, they, yeah. They, they luckily signed me knowing that I might need surgery. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Like, yeah, 
very lucky to be fair. And mate, if you keep playing like you're currently playing, um, that that contract's been well worth it, bro. But yeah, you signed a two-year gig, um, and then yeah, obviously you had to spend that year on the sidelines before coming back for last year's uh, Mitre Ten Cup. And I mean, like, what was it like for you, bro? Like, obviously, 2020 was a weird year for a lot of people, and you know, the the competition, or I guess the the original Super Rugby format got stopped because of the whole COVID thing, and then you come back for Super Rugby Aotearoa. So, like, for you in that time, was it just, like, a massive, like, rehab process? And, like, was it quite nice, I guess, like, having to just, like, chill at home for, for eight weeks? Like, I mean, like, talk us through that. Like, like, when did you get the surgery? And, like, yeah, how did the rest of the year play out for you before you actually got to play some footy at the back end of the year? Um, so, uh, just to, to put it um, straight, like, that last year was probably one of the hardest years, like for 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 a lot of reasons. I had that surgery in just before Christmas, so so going into the new year and coming back down here, yeah, I was just set to to do my rehab, and um, yeah, that basically consisted of walking on the treadmill, like not very fast, maybe two k at a time, and then. Eventually, after a couple of months, I was able to do some light upper body stuff. And then just before lockdown, I'd started swimming and I was doing some pool stuff. Because with, with the surgery that I had, you you need to be real cautious, I guess, so, so you don't make it worse again. Um, but it was, actually, it was actually niggly timing because just as we went into lockdown, it was when I was supposed to, my program was supposed to, um, I guess, progress onto the next level. I was supposed to start doing different stuff in the gym and um, all these different kinds of things. And then I I did lockdown in, in Christchurch with my mate Nani and his um, his partner up there. And all of a sudden, I don't have a pool. I didn't have a bike. Uh, I didn't have all the, you know, the stuff I, I needed to do my rehab. So all I was doing was walking and it actually set me back like a couple of months. But I think that, like for everyone, that that experience was an interesting one. It was tough, but we got through it. I actually ended up liking it, just because we were having, you know, it's with one of my best mates, and we were having like a good old time. But um, yeah, when I got back here, finished my rehab off with the rest of the year, rest of the year, and um, almost got back to the to the stage where I could play in that last game against the um, Hurricanes, but it probably. Wouldn't have been smart going straight into a Super Rugby game after not playing for so long. So um, we decided, you know, just push it back and I was going to play club rugby in, in Wellington. So sort of that was going well. Played a few games for Wellington, and uh, sorry, for Norths. And then I played the first round against Waikato. Managed to get through that fine. My back was feeling good. And then... Uh, round two of Mitre 10, I dislocated my elbow. So second round back of um, professional rugby, I guess, in, in that year. And I thought it was, I thought, yes, I finally finished all my rehab. And then and then I popped my elbow out and I was, boom, gone for the rest of Mitre 10, which was tough. Like back-to-back injuries are always tough. And um, on top of like a lot of other stuff that I had going on outside of rugby, it was, it was I know, it hit pretty hard, to be fair. But um, yeah, just we got through it, and then I was I made it back for our very last game against Monowatu, and I came off the bench and played like 18 minutes, and then I dislocated my finger. So I had a pretty bad little run of <laughs> last year, last year. But I mean, yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> I mean, rugby is uh, it's obviously like gifted you a lot of opportunities and taking you all across the world, but it can be a cruel game at the same time because unfortunately you don't just use your body to play rugby. There is stuff that you do outside of the 80-minute the game and all the training that you do, bro. But yeah, so a pretty tumultuous 2020 for you. And I mean, you talk through going through those dark times and like even the idea, like when I think about athletes and they have to go through that whole rehab process, it's like for me, you know, like for you who, you know, was having to walk and wasn't able to do any upper body stuff. So, you know, I, I know how hard it is to get your body in, in peak physical shape and the discipline, the sacrifices you guys make. 
and then like bang, just like that, it can be all taken away from you and you have to go through that whole hell again of doing all the running blocks and putting all the weight on and yada, yada, yada. So for you, you talk about like going through that dark patch, you know, was it really your family that, that got you through those tough times and do you feel like you're a more resilient guy um, off the back of all of it? Yeah, 100%. It was my family, my friends. Like, I, I'm i pretty lucky. Like, my family is real tight. You know, I'm, I come from a, what is a joint family now. I've got um, a stepbrother, two stepsisters, a half-brother, a half-sister, and obviously my older brother and my older sister, Georgia. So we got a big bunch, and we're all, like, really tight. Got got each other's back, obviously, to the death. So... To have a big family like that, yeah, definitely helped me get through that tough time. And my my friends down here, as well as back in Wellington, um, yeah, I've got good friends, bro, and I'm really lucky to to be able to like actually talk to them about these the way that I'm feeling. You know, last year was a, a character building year to say the least. You know, I had to get through those hurdles, and uh, I don't know why, but someone was testing me to the limits. Um, but to be completely honest, I feel like going forward, I'm I'm going to be better for it because I know I know I can get through those hard times now, and I know that I've got this awesome you know support network around me to help me do that, which I'm really really grateful for. A hundred percent, bro. A, a person that I've been around lately gave me the quote that you you grow through what you go through. So and I just feel like it it applies to um I guess what you've what you've obviously been tested with um, the last year. Uh, but, yeah, rolling into some of the good stuff, bro, and you know, I guess, like, off the back of what was a dark time for you, you end up hitting the ground running for the Highlanders in the preseason and had quite a few write-ups with some of the games that you guys played and, I guess, like, your newest colours. So, I mean, like, what could you sort of point to um, for, you, for such a fast start, you know, obviously coming off the back of all these injuries, but then, bang, you're back down south, you're back with the Highlanders, and it's almost like you're playing your best footy. Yeah, to be fair, um, I don't think I've ever felt better uh, physically, which is awesome. And I, I can 100% put it down to the work that me and Jackson did over the summer. When my attendance finished, I was frustrated because I'd finally got back to the stage again for the second time rehab-wise um, where I could play again. And then, bang, we don't make the finals. So I'm I'm, I'm left, like, sort of, you know, it's a, it's a frustrated feeling again. And... I, I literally had a week off after my attend and then I said, right, I've got, what, nine weeks, nine weeks of training that I can just smash because I know for a fact that if, if I go down there and I'm not in shape, like, this is going to be another tough year and I don't want that. So me and Jackson, we just, we just put our heads down, trained real hard, ate well, didn't, you know, didn't drink too much. Um, saved it for Henry, which was worth it, and then <laughs> just trained, trained real hard, and um, yeah, and it ended up paying off. Coming, coming down here, ran the best Bronco, uh, ran a PB Bronco for me anyway, and um, and just yeah, I guess coming in into preseason already, you know, fit, it, it, it just helped me put my best foot forward for. For selection in, in, in those preseason games where I just went hard, you know, and um, yeah, it's been going good, I guess. Yeah, and you were rewarded for it uh, with a start against the Crusaders, um, I guess your former home in round one of Super Rugby Aotearoa in 2021. So, I mean, run me through, I guess, that week after you get named in the team. And I know it's also like a special thing for you uh, because your dad played for the Highlanders and he was actually Highlander number one. So, yeah, I guess it would have been like a, a pretty crazy week being like, damn, you know, like I'm finally going to get to, I guess, you know, tick off this goal and then at the, sh- at the same time, you know, share it, you know, with with your old man, the guy that you've grown up wanting to be like. Yeah, 100%. Um, I remember, in the, and it makes me nervous even now thinking about it, like in the team room when the team was being named, um, I hadn't I hadn't heard any anything from... Brownie, the the few days leading up to it, so I was like freaking out. I was like, oh no, I'm not I'm not playing because I haven't heard anything. And um, they were going through the names one to fif- one to fifteen, and my heart was beating out of my chest. And then bang, number fourteen, Connor Connor Bishop, and I was like, so, literally from that moment, my 
my levels were like through the roof. My energy levels, my excitement, my nerves. It was like everything was just turned up to like as high as they could go for the whole week. I couldn't sleep. And Dad was coming down to watch the game, which was which was pretty exciting because I hadn't seen him in a while, and my stepmom. But yeah, like excitement levels were through the roof. And during preseason, we'd been learning a haka, and like as soon as we um, as soon as we started learning that, I said, "All right, like I want to be a part of that team that does that first haka um, against against the Crusaders, which was what they told us was going to be happening." And I'd I'd been dreaming. Like literally dreaming of me standing there in front of the Crusaders doing the haka, like I was doing it in the mirror, <laughs> you know, just going hard. Um, but yeah, it's literally a feeling I can't. It's hard to describe, bro. Everything was just—it's just a dream come true, literally. And um, yeah, hard to put into words, I guess. But just so stoked. Yeah, bro. I can only imagine, man. And we won't touch um too much on the result, bro, because obviously it, it didn't go that way. But I do have to ask, my man, like when Jono made that break, and you're outside him, like, and you finally got the ball. How long did that run feel like? Did it feel like, I don't know, an easy thirty meters, or were you like oh, no. sort of like? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I thought I was running for at least. 40, like at least 70 metres or something like that, you know. It was the longest 30 metres of my life. <laughs> and then, like, and then I saw Sevi Reese coming across, and I was like, oh, no, this guy's fast. And I thought about stepping back in, but no, I just turned my head back, dived a little bit early, and, and then went over. And then I see Nagi and Nani. But I just put out my arms. I'm like, give me a hug, boy. It's like, <laughs> it's like the best moment of my life. Give me a hug. <laughs> You know, like, no, it's awesome, bro. Oh, but yeah, like I mean, like yeah, obviously the the look on your face and the celebration um said it all, man. But yeah, I yeah, again, like, I haven't talked to a few boys when they've dotted down for the first time. They just talk about like, bro, it, it feels like an age, or it feels like the lines a lot further away than what they've grown <laughs> up used to being, because it's almost like the pressure's so yeah, big, bro, and yeah. you're like, man, like, yeah. you know, like. Even though rugby, scoring tries isn't, like, the most important part of rugby, you know, like, that's something that no one can take away from you or, you know, it's always, yeah, like, something your grandkids yeah. are going to ask, oh, you know, Koro, did you score a try? It's like, yeah, I scored a try. Like, you don't want to be that one who played and didn't get a dot, especially if you're an outside back. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> and, though the crowd, like, oh, fire, the crowd. I've never played in Forsyth Bar, so that was another first for me. And um, as soon as I ran out, like, the crowd was, absolutely pumping look over to the zoo they're like partying like waving their flags to the to the beat of the base i'm like fire out this is literally like this is on this is <laughs> now it's mean oh yeah again like i said before bro i can only imagine and i guess you, you still got the rest of the the season to play out bro and fingers crossed you get some more meat pies under your belt but um, that, that encapsulates everything um, that I want to cover off from your rugby career, bro. And I know that um, you've, you've got a dinner to get to soon. So I just want to get through this, uh, the second part or the, the last two bits of um, my, my interviews uh, really quickly, bro. So can you run me through what like a, a game day or the lead up to a game day looks like for Connor Garden Bashit, bro? Yeah, bro. So in the morning, uh, if we've got a 7 p.m. game in the morning, I'll wake up about 10. I'll have a feed and then I'll last some tunes probably like let it go from frozen and high school musical and have a good old sing-along you know just a real happy vibe and oh, that's, then, the, um, that's the garden bishop bros bro I, I, i'm not i'm not quite on that same <laughs> yeah bro i'm not on that wave <laughs> yeah bro just the happiest of vibes you know just to keep them keep it cool have a wee sing-along and then um and then we usually have primers, which will be early afternoon, maybe about 2 o'clock. Um, so do that. Go to my pre-match bell, which will be about 3, I think. Yeah, 3, 3.30. And then I'll come home, try and have a nap. I'll always try and have a nap before a game. Although against the Crusaders, I couldn't because I was that excited. And then um, I'll, I'll get up from my nap, have a shower, get to the game. And, and on my way to the game, I'll... I'll put my phone away and just be really present. Like, I, I don't really listen to music, <laughs> partly because I don't have any headphones, and secondly because I just like I like getting in the zone and just really taking in my surroundings, you know, mentally 
um, like I say, just being present. And then when I get to the game, I just put my boots out, buy my jersey, hand the jersey up, get the Landers logo facing outwards because, it's, you know, that's who I'm playing for. And then, yeah, and then I'm basically ready to go. Yeah, ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Alright my man, yeah, that, that, um, yeah, thanks for elaborating on that bro um, and I'll get to my question, so yeah like I've said um, for anyone else who's watched this or if you're new to it, um, I have a segment called 10 in the bin where I ask each of my guests 10 questions and I just ask that they answer them as honestly as possible Yo. Alright, question number one, what's your go-to vessel at a pre-drinks on a night out? Um, right now, pals, there's purples, purple pals and I call them pear pals <laughs> <laughs> bro, I'm raxing that, bro, because that drink is gone. It's honestly my yeah. go-to, and it's um, it's got a few less calories than some of the other, um, I guess, sweeter ones. So yeah, they're not too bad on the rig. Uh biggest coach's pet that you've been around? Um, coach's pet. <laughs> um, ninety forty-five. <laughs> uh, mu- must do on a day off. Uh, massage. Let's see. Get a massage. Get a wee rub down. You know. Mm-hmm. Least favourite fitness block? Uh, Bronco. Mm, yeah, me too. Uh, favourite cheat meal? Ooh. Um, wicked Wings. Gone. Uh, most regretful ball of purchase. So what I mean by that, bro, is like, what have you gone out, splashed a whole lot of money on, and then instantly regretted it? Ooh, that's tough. I, to be honest, uh... I've never really had that much money, bro, so I haven't really splashed on too much, but I've probably got currently one too many pairs of J's. Like, I've got a couple that I don't actually wear, so maybe one of those. True. What's um? What's your favourite um, pair of kicks you got at the moment, bro? Oh, I like my um, I like my red and white lows, J-white tour ones. Mm, yeah, classics. Bit of me, bit of me. All right, uh, guilty music pleasure. Music? Yep, guilty music pleasure. So take away the high school musicals and maybe the Frozen's. Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are my guilty pleasures, though. Um, okay, no, I like... <laughs> I like... Um, bro, any sing-alongs, those throwback, like, 2000 sing-alongs, those are just my jam. Bro, I'm, I'm guessing you're the karaoke bar type when you go into town and wellies. <laughs> Oh yeah, get me there. <laughs> oh, uh, go to dance move. <laughs> Dougie, have to. Yeah, hard. Uh, biggest grub you've played with and against. Biggest grub. Um, biggest grub. Currently, biggest grub. Maybe Jack Whedon, big ring. Mm, I could definitely see that. All right, bro. Uh, last question. You just got to finish off the sentence for me. And that is, Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> Great answer. Like, that's honestly, like, you can't score a higher answer than that, my man. Oh, man, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, thank you much for, for following through on that, man. And, uh, yeah, again, like, like I mentioned uh, right at the start of our quarter door, bro, this has um, been something I've been really looking forward to. I mean, I look forward to all of my guests, um, but I guess you being a brother and having had Jackson on, I was really interested to to see how much of an influence he's had on you and, and get a glimpse into maybe what not a lot of other people get to see in terms of some of the stuff that you've gone through with your rugby career, bro. So, yeah, um, really appreciate your time, my man, and enjoy your dinner. Bro, 100%. Thanks for having me on. Unreal. All right, appreciate you, bro. Later. Yo, later, bro.